And part of the reason we're so, you know, this whole idea that we're tackling these last few weeks has been intentional discipleship because as a core value, Antioch movement has these three core values. Love God, love others, and make disciples. And back about a year and a half ago, um, uh, as you know, many of us, uh, some of you don't know, but about a year and a half ago, uh, I appointed elders in this church after I was appointed to be the senior pastor of this church. And the thing I told them is it's not Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. They are elders of the church and they need to act like them, which doesn't mean that they're uh, independent, but we are interdependent and we speak the truth in love. And one of, a couple of them pulled me aside one day for lunch and said, Steve, I just want you to understand, we're a disciple-making movement and I don't believe we necessarily have integrated that DNA into our church to the degree and the level that we need to. And so I began to really think deeply about this. And I've shared already with you some of my own self-evaluations, as well as the evaluation of us as a church how well are we making disciples? And um, so I want to kind of illustrate where I'm going with an illustration this morning based on football. And for those of you that don't know anything about football, I think you can still get the illustration. How many of you, if a few weeks ago I defined what a disciple is. So let me say a few names and see if these names sound like, for those of you that do watch football and are a Panthers fan, you will understand what I'm talking about. Here, is this person a football player? Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, okay. All the, uh, yes. Uh, how about Brian Burns? Okay, so we only have a few that pay attention to the NFL. Uh, Taylor Morton, Morton, I'm not sure exactly how you pronounce his name. He's an all-pro offensive lineman. Now, one of them is a running back wide receiver. One of them is a defensive end. One of them is an offensive lineman. They would all be classified as football players. How about LeBron James? All of you knew that, didn't you? Okay, so we get we kind of get what a football player is or isn't. Now let me ask you this. How do you make a football player? How many of you know how to how many of you played football, you men, and maybe some of the ladies, but how many of you men played football? Okay. How many of you that played know how to make a football player? Just a little bit. I was a really unsuccessful little league coach. Our team lost almost every game. So I don't think I was a very good coach. 
how do you make a disciple? That's really what we're exploring right now, is the idea that I might know what a disciple is, but I'm not sure I know how to make one. And here's the unfortunate thing, so that we can kind of get out of our head the religious language we often use, and just be real practical. Football coaches are to football players as disciple makers are to disciples. Another way of looking at it is every one of you are being called to be coaches. Every one of us have to not just be the disciples, but we have to be disciple makers. That's another way of the scripture we talked about last week, 2 Timothy 2.2. The things Paul's saying to Timothy, the things you've heard from me, you're to teach faithful people who will teach others also. So I've stepped all over my notes, which I haven't used yet, but (laughs) what else is new? Okay, let's go to 1 John. We're going to stay on this, this, these verses in 1 John 35 through 50. We're not going to look at all the verses today. I just want to look at a, a few of them. Uh, John the Baptist has, has just baptized Jesus the day before, and Jesus is still evidently hanging out near the Jordan. And it says, the next day John was there again. Two of his followers were with him. And when he saw Jesus walking by, now that's interesting. The day before Jesus had been baptized, today he's just walking by the crowd. And he said, and that's John the Baptist said, here is the Lamb of God. He's pointing to him. And John's two followers, his two disciples, heard him and went with Jesus. I just love that. And I love the implications of that. We'll get into a little bit of that. When Jesus turned and saw them, he asked, what do you want? I don't think he was saying, what do you want? I think he was saying, what do you want? There was genuine curiosity in his voice, I'm sure, as they then responded to him, probably caught a little off guard. Because when Jesus asks us a question, most of the time we are off guard, and Never is he in doubt about what you actually need. His questions are never for information for him. His questions are always about you exploring information about yourself. Which is one of the things, by the way, about prayer that a lot of us don't like. Because what happens in prayer, often those questions we have are actually coming from Jesus and not our own minds which is a good clue to begin to answer. What are you answering him with in your prayer? That's totally free, by the way. But that's a really, that's when I start having questions when I'm praying, I know they're coming from Jesus. That's the way, that's my presumption. And then I start examining and saying, well, Lord, I think this. So here's what they responded. Rabbi, where do you live? That's kind of, what do you want? And their response, uh, where do you live? And Jesus responded to their answer. He said, come and see. It was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him. 
and saw where he lived. And they stayed for the rest of the day. Now one of the two men had heard John had gone with Jesus was Andrew. And presumably the other one was John. Now Andrew and John were buddies. They weren't brothers. Because it tells us that they, the first thing Andrew did, verse 41, was to find his brother and tell him, we found the Messiah. The Hebrew word Messiah means the same as the Greek word Christ. Now it's very interesting. This is almost the instantaneous revelation of the most important statement Peter has ever heard in his life. I mean, it, it's kind of like Superman just showed up. That's, that's, that's the equivalent of what Andrew's telling his brother, Peter. So now we've got, we've got Andrew and John, and now Peter. I'd love to teach on this more, but I just want us to see the personalities involved. And Andrew brought his brother to Jesus. That's, isn't that interesting? And when Jesus saw him, he said, Simon, son of John, you'll be called Cephas. This name can be translated Peter. The next day, Jesus goes to Galilee. There he met Philip, who was from Bethsaida. The, he was buddies with Andrew and Peter. And Jesus said to Philip, come with me. And Philip then found Nathanael. And Nathaniel has nothing good to say about Nazareth. He says, what good thing can come from Nazareth? Maybe they'd gotten beaten a lot in their soccer teams. I don't know. But whatever reason, he didn't like Nazareth. And then, so, so we have, I just want us to focus on this. This, this story has a lot of names in it and a lot of personalities because what the Holy Spirit is trying to emphasize is that all of this is about relationship. And it's about close relationships. Well, one of the questions I have this morning is if I know what a disciple is and I maybe don't have exact clarity on what how to make a disciple, then I, I think I've got to answer another question. What is a simple one-line definition of disciple-making? If I were to ask anyone in this room what is disciple-making, please define it in less than 35 words. One sentence. I, in fact, I was, I'm, I'm tempted to just give you my phone number and let you text me your answer, but it might take more time than we have this morning. <clears throat> Here's what I'm afraid we'd find. If I am, uh, let's just say there's a head coach on a football team at the uh, Carolina Panthers. Uh, let me just tell you, what he sits down with his assistant coaches and says, here's what Carolina Panthers are going to be this year. This is what we're going to focus on. This is what our emphasis is going to be. He's going to set the direction of, and he's going to define what it means to be a Carolina Panther this year. 
if he's a good coach at all. Everybody's going to be working from the same vision, purpose, assignment. Now, they're going to have sections of that assignment that are going to be smaller and smaller, but it'll always be to serve the big vision. So I started doing research in all of the materials, and by the way, I think love God, love others, and make disciples is a great mission statement, but it's not a definition of what making disciples is. So I said, okay, can I find a definition? I started looking up definitions for disciple-making. And I discovered there are very, very few people that have defined the most important assignment that God, that Jesus, his last will and testament was, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go make disciples. He told us where to go. He told us, what, you know, we go, we, we go to nations and we teach them to obey. But he's, he's not getting into the details of how to do what his assignment was. Is everybody following me? If I said to all of you, tomorrow all of you are going to go and be soccer coaches, how many of you would start downloading everything you could on how to coach soccer? That's the first Google you'd do, wouldn't it? You'd say, I don't know anything about soccer. I think a lot of people don't know anything about making disciples. I think people have ideas, but they go, but if I, my teams are going to get beat as bad as Steve's, you know, little league team. How many of you don't want to be that kind of coach? Okay, so I came up with a definition what disciple making is. And let's, uh, let's throw, the, throw it up there. Disciple making is the intentional process of training believers to be devoted followers of Jesus, who through accountable relationships increasingly resemble Him and reproduce other disciples. That's a one-sentence definition of what being a disciple-maker is. And every and if you'll notice, I underlined some words. I underlined the word intentional as opposed to haphazard. I underlined the word devoted as opposed to indifferent, apathetic, lazy, and dispassionate. I underlined accountable relationships, which means they're more than, hey, well, let's have coffee together. And I underline the word increasingly because all of us know that all of us are works in progress. And you don't expect a baby to have the same characteristics as an 18-year-old. And hopefully an 18-year-old, a uh, 28 or 38-year-old has some characteristics that an 18-year-old doesn't have in terms of maturity. And then finally, they're not just disciples, they're reproducing disciples. It's not that they know how to resemble Jesus. They resemble in him in the fact that they are the ones causing the increase of his government throughout the earth. Can, can we all? How, how many of you think that's a pretty good definition? 
By the way, I don't know that this definition is the great definition that could be out there. I, I will just tell you, Brenda and I sat and we wrestled with it. Leslie will tell you, I sent it to her. I said, no, scrap that one. I sent her another one. I said, no, scrap that one. Finally, I said, don't worry about it. I'll have it finished in the morning. I rewrote this about five or six times. And I kept saying, I don't want to put a whole doctrinal statement in here. I just want it simple and easy to repeat. Something that every person in this room, when, when somebody says, what does it mean to make disciples? You will be able to just say, it's the intentional process of creating devoted disciples. See, I'm not even saying it right. But I'm wanting you to understand what I want you to get, the main point. Through accountability, where we begin to increase our likeness of Jesus and we replicate other disciples. See, I didn't use any of the same words, but I got the same meaning. Because here's part of the problem. So many of us aren't very intentional. So many in the church, and we know this, we, some of us have been those undevoted disciples. Uh, very few of us have ever experienced accountable relationships. And if we have, some of those experiences have been very negative. Or we just are afraid of them. And some of us look the same way we did spiritually 15, 20 years ago. And unfortunately, 95% of us will never ever reproduce another Christian as long as, long as we are a Christian. So that's why I wrote that definition the way I wrote it. Because what I want us to focus on over the next, and I'm telling you, folks, uh, I don't know if those two elders are here in this room, but let me just say this. We're not going to talk about anything else until we learn how to do this as a body of believers. Because my job is not primarily so you can say, well, you know, I really like those sermons Steve preaches. I really don't. I, I, don't, don't get me wrong, I don't want you to dislike them, but here's what I really want you to do. I want you to say, this really charges me, inflames me to become a disciple-making believer of Jesus, a devoted follower of Jesus, who is confident that he or she knows how to reproduce other people that will follow Jesus so devotedly that the world will go Jesus's all over the place. That's what I'm, that's my goal. Okay. Last week, our first point was disciples are made in inten intentional partnership with the Holy Spirit, the local church, and a disciple who becomes a disciple maker. I backed up to define what disciple making really is. So now let's go with point number two. Disciples are intentionally made. You know the question, are leaders born or are they made? You all have heard those questions before. Are athletes born or made? My definition is they're born to be made. My goal for every single one of you 
is that this is what your most common reference to yourself when somebody asks who you are or what you do, here's what you say. My name is Steve Jellicorse, and I am a devoted disciple of Jesus Christ. Masquerading as a real estate developer and home builder. I am a software developer. I'm masquerading as a software developer, but really I'm a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Yeah, I, I, I've got a, a doctorate in some high complex science degree, but I'm just masquerading as that because what I really am is a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. How many of you can get behind that idea? You see, here's what happened in the church that had no New Testament and in the church that many of the people that were flocking into it really didn't know anything about the old Mosaic law, the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament. What they did have was a relationship. They were taught to be so influenced by the presence of the Holy Spirit that it invaded their life. They began to act like Jesus, and the accusation was they were a bunch of little Christs, and that's where the word Christian comes from. They weren't, they, they were more, previously they were called people of the way. Their ways were really different. So their, uh, their whole presentation to the world they were in was a presentation of a different way of living. They loved their enemies. How many of us can't even stop throwing the finger when somebody cuts us off in traffic? I've never done that, but actually I have, and I, I, I realize, you know what? I'm just confessing here. I'm not like Jesus, and I need to become like him. I'm devoted to be, resemble him. And that's not what he'd do. So you know what? I, I've, I've, I felt like the Lord said to me, and this was about, I don't know, 15 years ago, I was traveling and I got really upset with somebody. And I found myself wanting to speed up and, you know, look over. I had a pickup and they didn't. And so I can always look down on them. And I'm, I'm, I'm getting really aggressive. Little road rage. Is this is this okay for me to confess this? I hope I can share with you my frailties. These are old frailties, by the way. Though I don't have those problems anymore. I have other problems, but not this one. Where Brenda's not here, so she can't. No, but seriously, as I as I was doing this, the Lord said, "What are you doing?" I mean, just you know, He asked the question. That uncomfortable, what are you doing? I'm not acting like you. Why don't you pray for them? 
uh, you want to have more gifts of the Holy Spirit operating your, why don't you get a word of knowledge from me about what you need to pray for for them? Maybe you need to hear from me about them, and I actually interrupted you with their rude driving so you could pray for them instead of their life being totally dominated by the influence of the enemy because no one else in the world is praying for them. And that's my way of getting your attention. But you're not living like a devoted disciple. You're living like a really important, self-important real estate developer who has to get somewhere. See, when you, when you start being a devoted disciple, he starts changing every priority in your life. And every attitude has to be pulled apart and begin to be examined in the light of the cross of Jesus and your followership of him. Making disciples is much different than making converts. Please don't hear something that I'm not saying. Making converts is unimportant. That's not what I'm saying. But what I... I'm just going to read some statements here. Jesus never asked anyone to pray the sinner's prayer. He never did. But it's very interesting. John makes a very salient point at the very beginning. John the Baptist, this is John the writer of John, but John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the earth sins of the world he doesn't actually say it in john but he does it's quoted elsewhere that that's what he said so the fact that he was the sin bearer was not lost on these guys but the point is he wasn't trying to be transactional here so much of what has happened i believe in particularly Protestant Christianity, as we have so relegated the relational to being a theory that we just tried to get people to have a transaction with God instead of a relationship with God. Any transaction you have with God is so that you would develop into a relationship with Him. But so many of us have been almost unintentionally trained to believe that the finish line is when I give my heart to Jesus. After that, it's all pretty much done. And what I'd like to say is that is just the starting line. You haven't even gotten your uniform or your spikes on to run the race. You're still in the recruiting office. You haven't even gotten to where they shave your head and give you your uniform if you're in the army. And I'm intentionally using those illustrations because those are the ones Paul used in 1 Timothy. And you are, you are in the feed store, and the seed store, you haven't started planting the seeds in your field yet. It's just the beginning. Being born again and being baptized only means that you now have the internal capacity in your immaterial being, your spirit, to do what no human since the fall in Genesis chapter 3 has been able to do. You know what that is? 
to become like God. To begin to be the true image bearers of Him. And, and because we've failed, because we've been so earnest to get your sins forgiven, we haven't been un, as earnest to stop you being a sinner. And in fact, we've even had theology that says, well, you're just hopelessly going to be a sinner. We don't make saints, we make improved sinners. That's been kind of the unstated, unintentional atmosphere that I believe sometimes we unintentionally create. Jesus asked people what they wanted. He always begins with our will, not our emotions or even our minds. Jesus is always negotiating with the one thing that he gave each of us that is sovereign to us. You know what I mean by sovereign to us? Even God himself will not violate your will and force you to follow him. Which is really just a simple explanation. Why would God make anybody be with him throughout all of eternity when in this life they have totally rejected and don't want to be with him? And there's only one of two locations in eternity that allow that. Eternal persistence of a being. One is heaven and the other is hell. He has sovereignly given us, us a will. Now, he has his ways and means, and his, sov his sovereignty has all kinds of ways to persuade and influence us, but he is not a manipulator, and he is not a controller of human wills. How many of you have maybe, Lord, just make me stop sinning? He won't answer that prayer. He's already done all that he needs to do for you so that you stop sinning. Now, discipleship is part of becoming what you already are. Like I said, being born again is giving you the immaterial capacity to become like Jesus. But trust me, your being born again doesn't, it's like the seed. And that's why he kept talking about it. If you don't understand this parable of the seed, you don't get it. So, so part of what's going on here is Jesus, our goal, our objectivity is to create people to build into you and to me as a disciple makers, people that have that seed in them that's growing, flourishing, and becoming more and more increasingly like Jesus. Jesus asked them to come and see where he was living. He was a, he was a people person who invites everyone into his home. How many of you ever refer to your home as your abode? That's kind of an archaic way of saying it, but the word abide... Most translations translate the whole chapter 15 of John about I am the 
vine, you are the branches. He who abides, who makes his home in me and my home in him, you'll bear a lot of fruit. You'll begin to start looking like me. You'll not only start looking like me, you'll start reproducing the way I reproduce. Jesus wants to know, over and over again, he asks his disciples these kind of odd questions. And this is really important for us to grasp. And I, I'd never seen this, but it, I, I've had the intuition of it, but I hadn't seen it before. Right here, Andrew is telling Peter, we met the disciple, I mean, we met the Messiah, the, Messiah, the one we've all been looking for. First words out of Andrew's mouth to his probably big brother, Peter, I, we found him. Way in the end of, toward right before his crucifixion, years, at least three years later, Jesus looks at Peter and says, who do you say that I am? And, and Peter says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, are you seeing the time elapse here? Jesus did not presume that just because Peter got it on day one, heard it on day one, that he got it on day 1,000, three years later. He did not assume that they believed or thought like him, but he still discipled them. I am not telling you to don't get people to say the sinner's prayer, but what I am telling you is don't put, don't bank a whole lot on that yet. So, you know, you've got had a, this is the starting line, and you need to prove that the, that the starting line is. Otherwise, you might be one of the three soils. The, the seed fell on different types of soils, and only one of them. Only 25% of the people that you encounter that say they're interested in Jesus will actually follow him. So don't be discouraged, because you know what happens? Someday, those fields might actually become good fields, when you come around to them, or one of your disciples does. See, that's the way, that's the redemptive characteristic of the Lord. He's never impatient with us. Going, excuse me, going after instantaneous conversions, rather than appealing to people to become wholehearted followers of Jesus, can create counterfeit conversions. And I'm going to, I don't know if we have the list of them here, but a counterfeit Christian is an, believes in an obligatory religious way. It may reflect their self-image, but their belief never informs the deepest parts of their life. A disciple's belief alters everything about their life. A counterfeit Christian is indifferent to being shaped by the ways of the surrounding culture. A disciple submits to the process of being fully transformed into the ways of Jesus. 
A counterfeit Christian may wants to enjoy the benefits of the cross without embracing one for themselves. A disciple willingly sacrifices, embraces the sacrifices of the cross. A counterfeit Christian reads the Bible like a menu with options. A disciple reads the Bible as the kings eat it. A counterfeit Christian sees Jesus as an add-on, self-improvement enhancement to their life. A disciple sees Jesus as the only true way to life. A counterfeit Christian is comfortable and at home in this world. A disciple immediately begins the journey as a sojourner in pursuit of a better kingdom. A counterfeit Christian acknowledges Jesus. A disciple obeys him. And a counterfeit Christian is a fan of Jesus and a disciple is a follower of Jesus. I, I genuinely believe that the people in this room are followers of Jesus, not just fans. But there is this irritating scriptures throughout Paul's letters and the book of Hebrews. And they're always those if-then statements. They're the if you continue. There is something conditional that the Lord continues to constantly throw out to us. It's your choice. Now, I wish I had time to say it. None of you have the power to obey. Children of Israel proved they didn't have the power to obey. But what happens when you're born again, you've now been empowered with the capacity to obey deep down inside. For the first time, a human being has been empowered and that's what we'll talk about next maybe the next time when we talk about grace but i i want us to understand as a disciple and disciple makers and i, I just had somebody one of the what i many of you would consider a fairly mature believer came up to me and he said i really have never been discipled and i i it's kind of like you know i was i was raised in an orphanage i wasn't raised by a family and, I, and one of the things that I, I want, you know, we talk about it here. We want to be family. But part of our need is to continue to explore what it looks like to make the family of God the way Jesus intended it. Amen? Everybody rise. One of the ways we can be disciples is we can begin to do those things that are disciplines, spiritual disciplines. I thought, Cody, I thought, thank you, Cody, I don't have to do any teaching. Fasting, I would rather feast than fast. We're, it's recommended we do both in the Bible. Uh, but fasting is relegating your physical appetites and your physical demands a, a secondary or a tertiary position in the physics of your being. You are made up of a spirit. And so many of us are just dominated by our physical 
appetites, our emotional appetites, our intellectual appetites, but in the deepest part of you, born again, was that seed of your spirit. And fasting, and we're, we are asking each of you, starting tomorrow with breakfast, if you can possibly do it, to stop eating breakfast and lunch and dinner and snacks for the next three days and reconvene in this room on Wednesday evening at 6.30 and Ben's going to give us more details. But what I'm going to ask you to do is become disciples. You go, well, I I wasn't ready to do this. I've got to run a marathon on Tuesday. Well, maybe you should. But if you don't have to run a marathon on Tuesday, then maybe you could fast. And, And obviously, some of you for medical reasons, some of you are pregnant moms and your baby needs nutrition. There, there's all, maybe you have an underlying health condition. I'm just saying for the, those of you like me that could use a few less calories this week uh, and are in healthy shape, we're asking you to begin a fast. And um, when you get really hungry and hangry and all those other attitudes that start cropping up, that's when you go pray. And can I just tell you, most of the time, you're not going to be having a whole lot of fun. It's kind of like working out at the last 15 minutes of a workout that you've exhausted yourself and you're just trying to finish and you're in a lot of pain. Wednesday at lunch, just call me if you need encouragement. We can commiserate. But I am going to ask this body of believers to pray. And the reason we're going to pray and fast is there is nothing more in his heart than to reach the nations, all of them around us and all of them around the world. And we want to be, we want to be those people that say, yes, Lord, I'm raising my hand. I want to be a disciple maker who is a disciple. Okay? Lord Jesus, thank you that you are intent on teaching us how to become good disciples that make disciples intentionally accountable to others who can look at our life and go yeah I see this in you and I I know that's not your destiny Lord I pray for those in this body that are a little bit disconnected from others who may say, I really don't have any close friendships or relationships. Lord, I pray that we would figure out a way, and they would figure out a way to choose to be a part, integrated in the family. And Lord, I pray for this fast, that you will give us the endurance, the discipline, and the grace to do this, the ability to do it. In Jesus' name.